Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alright Pod Podcast, a very alright podcast. I kind of said that wrong, but we're going to keep it. Uh, I'm joined by the wee baby himself, the cat whisperer. Uh, it's Big Dave. What's happening, Dave? Uh, not much, just petting my cat, having her purr this is on me. The true story, it's not a work. He actually does have a cat right in front of him, so maybe featured on the podcast at some point. May hear a purring, may hear a meowing. <laughs> As always, I'm Ben, here to talk about some media, some games, some bits and pieces. Um, I think we'll get straight into it, Dave. We've both got our heads spinning. We, tr- we desperately, desperately tried not to talk about it before the podcast came on. But we have watched something called The Rehearsal, fresh off the press, it's a TV show. How much do you want to explain to the good listeners of our podcast what The Rehearsal is, Dave? Um, uh, Nathan Fielder, famous comedian for the show Nathan For You, where he would go as posing as a reality TV show to help businesses, would go speak to them and then come up with the wildest ideas to help them sell their business and see if they'd go along with it. Uh, Famous ones being the time he set up a rebate system for a petrol station where people had to go to the top of a mountain to claim their rebate. Or the time he sold uh, TVs for a dollar but you had to get through an obstacle course that included an alligator. And again, these are all things he's like posing seriously and people go for. But in his new show, thing as uh, as cards are a bit more on the table in that he's allowing people to rehearse for moments in their life. Like in the first episode, he helps a teacher tell his trivia team partner that he doesn't actually have a master's degree. And it's... For what, like what he's already known for, it's the surreal and uncomfortable moments that he engineers that just makes the show fantastic. And this show takes it to ridiculous heights. I think it's when I told my friends to watch it just there, um, I described it as it is a reality TV show run by a psychopath. And I don't necessarily think that's quite true because I don't think he is a psychopath. He just seems to take these kind of issues to a level where it is ridiculous. The, 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 the degrees to which he goes and the way which he steps up the game and like puts people into these situations is bizarre, but it is not without like a large amount of sincerity. Like, I think what really shone through, shone through for me in the first episode is that he genuinely wanted to help this person, um, I think, and he liked the person even though he was trying to make it fun and trying to get some good content and, you know, be kind of, you know, obstructive as possible. I think it genuinely came from a desire to help this person. And he hoped that he did. In the second episode, I think by his own omission, the person's kind of taking advantage of him. And I think that maybe he's a little less helpful to, you know, to be able to actually help this person. But I think in the first one, it's really obvious just how, like, sincere and genuinely he wants to actually help this person. He's just decided to do it in the most ridiculous way possible. Um, I actually, yeah, I agree that he's a lot more... Sympathetic? No, yeah, like, he cares a lot more about the guy in the first episode to the point where he feels incredibly guilty about the fact that and again, it's one of the things I just love about the absurdity of just giving him this kind of budget is that he gives him the answers to the trivia night quiz that's going to be on. 
by engineering random events in his life to have like the one that made me laugh the most because he, he pulls this trick a few times in Nathan for you is where he has a cop talk about how there's just been a shooting a horrible shooting and he's like oh man I'll never forgive the Chinese for inventing gunpowder <laughs> just I was howling it was so contrived it was so funny um, it but, was really really good like, yeah, just a lot of the things he saw during this guy's walks, like, I just don't know what I would have thought if I was that guy. Like, um, like I want, so like, bizarre. Like, I, I kind of hope he at one point, somebody finds him and interviews him about this, because I want to know what he thought during and afterwards, because at the end, Nathan feels kind of guilty about having done this, but then it, you have a scene where he confesses to core what he did but again the rug is pulled under you and it's he's he's talking to a stand-in he's rehearsing the conversation and he doesn't like he, he can't handle the idea of being told he's a horrible person maybe like i don't think that's how it would gone down I don't even know if that's authentically how he felt or just what he thought would make an effective episode of television but I think that's the thing that's really interesting about all his work is that he really blurs the lines in a fascinating way. Yeah, I think at the end of both these episodes, there's been a moment where he's tried to talk a little bit about himself because I do believe that this rehearsal stuff is a show that could really only be made by him. <laughs> um, and it's a show that I think comes from a thing that he likes to do in his own life, but it's been blown so hugely out of proportion to like comic effect. Like, you know, maybe Dave, I, I, from what I know about Dave, I think he may not have a great impression of this person, but I reminds me of like Carl Pilkington of like a guy who is a personality, but then like blows it up to 120, 130% for comic effect. I think he is this person, but he just like magnifies the bits that are funny and minimizes the bits that aren't, you know, which is why I think it's kind of so convincing. Um, I only have, I, an, I only have, by the way, I only have a dislike of Carl Pilkington because of his close proximity to Ricky Gervais. I, I, yeah. I, have, I have in the past previously stated that I think uh, the Carl Pilkington thing is totally fake, but actually comparing him to Nathan Fielder in that respect is kind of fascinating and might cause me to reevaluate some of his stuff. And yeah, because like, because the thing was like with Nathan Fielder, it's like how much of it is true, how much is scripted, how much is authentic, because there there are times that do seem to be kind of like sincere, like the last episode he ever does of Nathan for you is where he takes one of the people he has on regularly, a Bill Gates impersonator who looks nothing like Bill Gates, um, and he helps him find an old love of his, and it's like. You don't do that if you don't actually care, even if there is an attempt to generate a comedy show around it. Yeah, I th if you look at some of um, Carl Perkington's solo stuff that he did after um, Ricky Gervais, like after he, I don't think it was like a falling out with Ricky Gervais, but Ricky Gervais just abused him, and it made him sad, I think, in a lot of places. But I also think he kind of understood that he, it was being done for good TV, but Ricky is a bully uh, to Carl, I think, in a lot of cases. 
Um, and so he made his own one where he was just generally a lot happier, where he got to actually explore stuff and still be this character, but actually do stuff he wanted to do. Uh, he made a TV show called Sick of It, which is genuinely fascinating. It's really good. It's genuinely good TV, Dave, and I'd recommend watching it if you get the chance, which is about, it has two versions of himself based off his own person, his own life of him just walking through life and like another version of himself who just complains and the version of himself that tries to stay positive and it's he wrote it all um genuinely good i tell you but what also, i would definitely check that out because you just said the magic words no ricky gervais no ricky gervais <laughs> but there's also a version of his show an idiot abroad called the moaning of life where he gets to kind of look at like how people are buried in india for example and he goes over to india to go to a funeral or like he goes over to like someone getting married in Las Vegas and just has a look around. And he's still the same character, but there's times where he actually smiles <laughs> and seems to enjoy his life because Ricky's not like, what happens if you get put in a shark cage with a shark, you know, and he's genuinely uncomfortable? Like, he's just, he's still the same character. It's just, he's not being, you know, he's not, he's just not treated as like, just like this comedy thing you just put in situations to see how it reacts, you know? Um and I do think that it it is a character. Carl Perkinson is a character, but that it's only because it's like one hundred and thirty percent, one hundred and forty percent of the real Carl Perkinson. I think like all good characters that are actually convincing come from some kind of like shared experience or shared emotion that you use as a stepping stone to be able to capture it, or how you would react in some circumstances if if you work your way there. Um, it's how like you know when you when you make a wrestling persona in wrestling school, they say that a good character is just one hundred and twenty percent of you. You find something about yourself and choose to, you know, enlarge the parts that make your wrestling character good and minimize the parts that aren't attractive to the audience. And I think, like, uh, you know, uh, Carl Pilkington and the name of this lad, Nathan Fielder, are wrestling personas. Uh, they are wrestlers. Um, you can't tell if it's kayfabe or not. And I think that's kind of fascinating. Uh, episode two of Nathan For You, I think, had a lot less genuinely nice people. There was an actual scumbag man. Um in a way that I think was very difficult to actually be able to maneuver around. But I also think like all of the reasonable men that they'd found to take part in the experiment wouldn't have been anywhere near as entertaining and also probably wouldn't have consented to the, uh, to the experience. So I guess they kind of had to have this guy. Um, but he was a knobhead. He really was. Yeah. Um, the episode is about a woman who wants to rehearse the idea of having a kid. So Nathan sets up this absurd sort of, um, like, hires 40-odd child actors to play the kid from 0 to 18 over the course of a few months. So because of child labour laws, they can only have kids for, like, uh, like the babies for, like, four hours at a time. So they have to constantly switch them out in these sort of, like, SWAT style operations because they want to make it as seamless as possible and they have like a robot baby for the nights and it's real puppet master vibes in a way that was sort of present in the rehearsal parts of the first episode but just not to this quite to the same extent and yeah the guy we're referring to is because she also wants to try it as a married person but she's not even in a relationship. So she finds this uh, guy after a few dates that she wants to ask to join in. And the guy, 
at first, you know, seems like a decent match. They're both deeply religious and, you know, he seems friendly and nice. But as the episode goes on, it just like he starts to reveal more of like a really sinister nature. I think the moment for me was like when she said specifically how much her purity mattered to you. And then he just goes and like prepares to have sex with her in his house and just just says that. And it's like, wow, okay. And then it just gets worse from there. Yeah, he's like, she definitely wants to have sex with me. And I'm like, despite the fact she specifically (laughs) said she didn't. Um, But yeah, no, I think it reminds me. There's an aspect to the show that reminds me a lot of like a Louis Theroux documentary or All Gas No Breaks where he's very good at just letting the other person talk. Absolutely. Lou um, Theroux is something I've often compared Nathan Fielder to. Uh, but he's like Louis Theroux. But I think Louis Theroux is often, he finds weird people and then lets them talk and they just give you entertaining things. Same with All Gas No Breaks. I love All Gas No Breaks, if you watch that, Dave. I haven't a fantastic... seen that one. No, I'll have to check that one out. You need to watch the Bigfoot hunting one, I think. There's so many that are fantastic. There's one with Ch- uh, Tom Hanks, his son, Chet Hanks, which is incredible as well, where he's very good at just, like, ask, not judging people, asking, like, honest or innocuous questions and just letting them talk and not trying to dictate the flow of the conversation, just, just being inquisitive and asking people stuff rather than trying to dictate his own point of view. And there's a lot of moments like that. Like one of the quieter moments is when, you know, the night owl that he'd hired is talking about Bigfoot, I think. Yeah. um, And cryptids to him. And he's just kind of just getting some information from that. But like just listening to these two's conversations, the scumbag man and the... I think the lady, yes, you said she wanted to rehearse having a kid. I think she really just wanted to live out her fantasy. Oh, absolutely. You get that sense as it goes on. She just doesn't seem to be engaging with the idea in the same way Cor did in episode one because you know he he does go for it full hog like whereas she's just kind of like oh i have to look after the kid i can't just go on a date like it's like yeah that's what being a parent would be like and yeah she just seems to like really enjoy the sort of twee aspects of being a parent like and Oh, but just with the, with the guy, it's just like the way he just completely starts to reveal more and more of himself as scummy as possible. Like, it's like he, he smokes a bong before driving back to the house. And it's like, yeah, I get I, I get high and drive all the time. And it's like, where's your license plate? Well, you don't need a license plate. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need that. And it's like, oh, and then, yeah, just immediately bails on the first night. Like, just does not. He's just like. I'm out. And you wonder, like... Yeah. Him having a video call with another woman as well while he was, like, it was next to her, which was really funny. Um, oh, that's what that was. I thought he was just on, like, somebody's Instagram or something, but that's that's even worse. I, I think I think that was the case. It could be someone's Instagram. Yeah. Um, that would make sense. But um, I think in Cole's case, in episode one, I think he actively obsessed over what would go wrong. And I think that he didn't want it to go wrong. And the message of the whole thing was that actually, if you try to sincerely do this stuff from a good place and you consider the other person's feelings to that degree, I think that it's always going to end okay um, because they recognize that you want to make stuff right. Uh, and if they don't, then they're probably not a good person anyway. Good person and yeah, for this particular fact, thing anyway. That... Like things went nowhere near as bad as he, he, he dreamt. And that was even exacerbated for comic effect. When I loved the one where she was like, we can't be friends anymore. And then immediately the trivia person went, and the loser tonight is Cor. <laughs> like and then like the, the bar patrons are all like, 
Wait, I can't did, believe he did I hear this guy degree. doesn't have a master's degree? Oh, what a loser. But yeah, no, I, I really like in the first episode that when he does confess to her, she's actually they actually start to have a really offensive conversation with each other. And like it could not have gone better for him in reality. Like I don't think they'd even planned a version where it went as well as it did. But, <coughs> but I, I, right, I, yeah. his it's the fact that her opinion and feelings did sincerely matter to him in a way that for the two people who have been largely involved in the second episode, neither of them particularly care. She actively does not want the bad parts. Like, Cora is focusing entirely on, like, what could go wrong. She actively does not want anything to go wrong. She just wants the nice things. And for someone, someone, anyone else. You know, like, it was really funny when, like, she was like, okay, yeah, can we just, like, you know, rain check? You know, I can't, I can't do the baby stuff tonight. And he was kind of like, well... I have the babies here. <laughs> like, you know, I can't really delay the babies till next week, you know? Um, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I'm looking forward to watching the third episode after the podcast. Uh, it is out at time of speaking. Uh, it's really, really entertaining. I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, about what it means, you know, and I, I really liked the little introspective elements at the end of each episode with him uh, rehearsing his lines and using it in his life and how he does this stuff. It was all very, very interesting, I think. Um, and but, I think genuinely really cool. I'm excited uh, to watch this and to watch Nathan for you as well, which Dave has recommended to me. Um, so I'm exci- excited to watch all of these things. It's going to be good. I mean, one of the things that's really wild is the guy from episode two has given an interview since where he's like, oh man, the show totally misrepresented me. He's like, I actually talked about Jesus way more than they showed. And I'm like, mate, they showed that crazy often in the show. Like, how much more could you possibly have talked about Jesus? And he's also like, oh, you know, in fact, famous, uh, at least on Twitter, famously the line that people like to quote is like, I crashed my Scion Model TC at 100 miles per hour. And then I was upright because of Jesus. And it's like, he says it like 10 times throughout the episode. And he talks about that quote-unquote accident. The reason I say accident is because he's he, this is him trying to be like, oh no, I'll explain it. You'll understand it. So it's more, it makes more sense. He's like, I was high and drunk and I got into a street race and this is bad enough. And he's like, but actually the real fault was the mechanics of the car. And I'm like, what? No, it wasn't. Like, how is your explanation that is supposed to make people see you as a better person only make you see seem worse? It's wild. It's messed up. It's messed up. Oh. It's a rough watch, but I loved it. Um, I wasn't anywhere near as awkward as I thought it was going to be because I hate, I do kind of hate cringe comedy sometimes. Um, but I thought this was quite good in a lot of ways, even if there were a few moments that made me a little uncomfortable. And then obviously it's highly unethical. Um in so many ways, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, and also, speaking of the ethics of it, you've got this wild discourse going on Twitter at the moment where on one side, people are like, Nathan Fielder is a monster and must be stopped. He is hi- history's greatest criminal. And then you've got on the other side, people are like, no, he's a small bean who is actually deeply cares about people and only shows the humanity in people. And then you have normal people who are like, well, actually, obviously, this is a bit unethical. He's manipulative. But there's also more sides to it. He's not 
it's not e- he's not necessarily evil and he is creating a show that's entertaining but it shows stuff about the audience as well and it talks it speaks to things in the industry as well because a lot of the things he does is what reality tv does anyway but reality tv pretends it doesn't he's just a, he just wears it on his sleeve and then you got people who say that and then everyone dogpiles the person being like from both sides they're like oh man you're just as bad as he is or you don't understand his works and it's like can people just not be normal about this I the impression I get from the from watching it is it's a little bit like you gave like an imprecise wish to a genie, or like you gave like a computer program that doesn't know like understand human stuff, and you gave it like an imprecise command, and just like oh yeah, I will fix this problem. This is how we do it. This is a great solution. This will fix it, and it's just, just a, like just a complete nightmare for everyone involved. But it it is effective. Um, and I think that's the that's the kind of the idea I get from the Nathan for you as well. It's a bit of an evil genius, um, but he's also he's aware of it, and it's very funny. Um, it is it is quite exceptional. And the people they have found for these episodes are the first episode people genuinely nice people. I quite like those people. For episode two, they really fucking had a net outside the Jerry Springer show, and fucking just went for it. Um, you know, <laughs> that can't still be on, is it? I have no idea, Dave. <laughs> You would I feel like not. it had to have been Jeremy Kyle, you know, ran for like 20 years and then finally stopped. And then everyone was like, finally, we stopped the evil. And it's like, could have done it a bit earlier, couldn't you? <sighs> Jeremy Kyle is, uh, he's not a problem. He's a symptom of a problem. Um, you need to, it would help if we sandblasted him, but another Jeremy Kyle would replace him if we destroyed the first Jeremy Kyle. Um has another Jeremy Kyle replaced him after we decided the first Jeremy Kyle? Probably. I can't think of not any. Not as of um, yet. Or at least not not a British version anyway. Like. Anyway, Nathan for you and the rehearsal. Dave, if you would, could you talk a little bit to me about the Bob's Burgers movie? Oh, it was, yeah. No, I watched it with some pals the other night. And... Uh, kind of like, I mean, it's not like the Simpsons movie where like the movie's uh, plot is so wild because Bob's Burgers has always been a bit more grounded. So it's just, yeah, honestly, it kind of just felt like an extra long episode. But I like the show, so an extra long episode was good. Um, not anything particularly to write home about, but I feel like, you know, the show it's comes from is... It's never been like, say, the height of The Simpsons uh, in terms of quality. But it is much more consistent than that show has been. Especially, God, I can't believe The Simpsons has been running for like 32 years. It needs to stop. Yeah, I don't really know too much about Bob's Burgers. I've never watched an episode, actually. Um, but I have, I'm kind of aware of it. And looking at the IMDb, it really does have a great, uh, a good cast. Like a lot of stars in here, a lot of people that I recognise um, from a lot of different places. Could you summarise what Bob's Burgers is and why I would want to watch it potentially? Uh, it's about a family that's trying to run a burger restaurant while, yeah, just like raising their kids, barely making it making it by. So you know, a lot of the storylines will often run about uh, be about how they need to make rent, which is 
good deal more relatable than most uh, half-hour comedies. Uh, yeah, it just, I don't know, it's... Wholesome's not the right word. Just kind of, like, relatable in the stories it tells. Like, it'll just be about the kind of things that do happen in everyday life, but they span it out into, like, a 30-minute episode. Um, yeah, I like it. It's, uh... As you say, great voice cast. It's John Benjamin tying down the cast, as usual. We also have favourites of mine, like Kirst- Kristen Schaal, who's great in everything she's in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's not a show I would, you know, could talk ages about, but it's definitely something that I like to throw on in the background and watch. That's cool. Um, so yeah, something you'd recommend that I watch, you think? Yeah, potentially? Absolutely, I'd recommend, it this, yeah. I'd, rec- cool. I'd recommend it to anyone. Is the movie a good place to start? Uh, do you think you would struggle not knowing the deep lore of... Um, of Bob's uh, Vegas? No, um. I don't think it would slow you down any. I mean, I think... I'm just really trying to think. Yeah, I mean, you just, you just wouldn't necessarily get some of the references, but I wouldn't say the references are crucial to watching it. It is definitely somewhere you could start. Uh, I would say that is the same with the show. You could start just about anywhere. It's very episodic. Cool. Uh, bit of Bob's Burgers then. Uh anything more to say on Bob's Burgers? <laughs> I uh, it doesn't sound like there's a huge amount to, to dive into, other than the fact that it's just a nice a nice long episode. Um, cool. Well, then if we've got plenty of games to talk about. Then I guess we'll do that. You've been playing God of War, but first I won't make you talk more about God of War. We're going to talk about Power Wash Simulator that we actually played yes. together. Um, we cleaned, friend cleaned of the, the pod Josh worked on. Yeah, yeah. Big big shout out to friend of the podcast, the J Man. Um, so uh, this is a bit of an interesting game. It is a game published by Square Enix, um, a game made by. Wait, it was a uh, Square Enix pop published. I heard this midweek. I actually haven't verified this to be true. Um, let me just check now. Uh, oh, well, one of us can check the other one's talking, perhaps. But okay. I'll check in a second. Cool, cool. Sorry. So it is a joint by uh, Brighton-based Future Lab which is a game development studio that have worked on the Peaky Blinders mobile game, uh, amongst other games recently. And it is a game in which that joins the ranks of Lawnmower Simulator and various other simulators that are based around tickling that part of your brain that enjoys order, that in, that, that that hates chaos and that really, really wants you to just like match some lines and douse some stuff. It's like a an anal retentive playground where you can uh, wash a climbing frame, you can wash the Mars rover that we did, you can wash the an incredibly large fountain of Muckingham Palace with a very, very, very deep system of attaching nozzles and different washes and various soaps and bits and pieces to be able to uh, try and get the wash done in, in as fast as possible. Um, did we manage to check if it's Square Enix, Dave? It was Square Enix that published it, which I just... Boom. Bizarre. I think it's wildly um, out of type. Well, is it that wild for them? Like, I mean, At least it's not an NFT game. Square Enix doesn't have a great track record with its Western studios as of late. Or any West Adventures it's been on, and has tried to sell off as many IPs and studios as it possibly can, because I think largely Square Enix is getting to the point now where it's. I think it's trying to transition to um, uh, selling off its Japanese arm to Sony and selling itself just generally. I think. So I think the days of Square Enix are possibly starting to fade, which is a shame because they still own quite a lot of good IPs. 
but they've sold off most of the Western IPs, and they're probably going to sell for the Japanese ones too. Sorry? Yeah, they've just not really been doing anything with those good IPs. Like... Yeah, but, I even um, liked that Guardians of the Galaxy game recently, and that was branded a catastrophic failure. Um, you know, did it not sell pretty well? I think like, it did. It's just, just unfortunately not enough for like the big suits, just really, really big targets. You know. Um, but yeah, on Power Wash Simulator because we played it with a friend of ours while just chatting away, and it's it's a real good game for that. But I also have been going back and playing it by myself on the campaign every so often, including when I came back from a night out very drunk and just sat and power washed a garden while falling asleep. (laughs) So perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, fuck, gotta clean these flagstones. How am I gonna structure my cleaning path around this massive area like? I'm like, I'm going to leave the shed to fucking last. That was like a disaster. Like, genuinely, there is a subset of games, and I don't mean this to be like diminutive of the efforts of a certain game, because I do think there is an art into making games like this, but games that I think, wow, I have a TV show I want to watch, I have a podcast I want to listen to, I have music I want to listen to, but I want something to keep the mind busy, to keep my arms busy. For a while, it was Loop Hero. I used to play a bit of that. Uh, Magic the Gathering Arena, something that I often play while I'm watching TV, listening to something. Uh, then Dynasty Warriors became the podcast game of choice. Uh, One Piece Pirate Warriors I played for a long time. Kingdom Hearts and little bits and pieces. If it's a real slog of a Disney world I have to get through, I'll just put in a podcast and just chill and just mash some buttons. And I think this really is the the end step of like, if you've got a podcast or a TV show to listen to, whack this on and you know wash wash a fountain. Watch some numbers pop up and like, just have a generally nice time while you're focusing on something else. Like, sounds pretty perfect. I think. I think it's like, I used to really not get simulation games, but now I think I'm slowly starting to get them. Because earlier in the year it was Snowrunner that I was playing, and now despite at first I thought when we played it I was like, oh this is kind of fun, but I'm probably not going to play it again, and then I just started playing it again so i'm like maybe i do like these weird simulation type games like they're very niche used to think they weren't for me but maybe maybe they are and it's perfect maybe... to being on games pass as well um. absolutely i probably would not have played it had it not been on games pass because i probably would have been like no it's not for me but now i'm like yeah i think i wouldn't have minded paying for it and uh, 2022 is a slower than usual game cycle and I think it had a pretty perfect window as well, um, in that it had, I think, really quite good review scores, um, which I will back up with some actual statistics if I get the chance. But I think it had some pretty good review scores, and it had quite a bit of press around it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I even, 10 out of 10 on Steam, 96%, like this video game, according to Google users. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty common knowledge that the reviews that we care the most about in the develop- games development community are Steam reviews. They're the most valuable reviews by a long way because they affect the recognition algorithms and the searches and um, how easy it is for people to discover your game really, really effectively. And so actually, OpenCritic is a cool site you can use uh, to be able to like find Metacritic reviews, but really that's not that useful to us. They matter to certain people, but they really don't influence sales anywhere near as much as Steam reviews do. And so the better site that we like to use is the Steam 250, 
uh, not Wii U to use, like for some kind of, uh, you know, um, monolith, but assume that I have heard people like to use the Steam 250. And currently, Power Simulator is at number three on the best of 2022, uh, just behind God of War and number one Stray, a game that has been unbelievably successful. And probably not a game that I think would have moved the needle much in a more busier year of games, um, but has seemed to do it extremely well uh, Stray recently um, and has actually has to have been a huge success because it has blown the Steam reviews out of the water to the point where if I was to actually look in the all-time reviews, uh, it's on there, number 39 of all time, which is a big deal when you consider it only just came out. Um, So pretty massive success and i have you know all we can do from the outside is speculate but i i have to imagine that power simulator has done incredibly well for itself and it's been a real success i hope it has um so yeah here's hoping but it is a cool little game if you like that kind of stuff and definitely has benefited from the uh slightly slower uh review cycle at the minute and we've had i've a, been in, sorry i was just gonna say i've been really enjoying the slower games period because it allows me to catch up on some things actually be a little bit current which is strange for me games usually have to be out for a couple years before i get around to them and i still even find there's been more games than i've been playing like digimon survive came out a couple days ago um probably not going to buy that one straight away but it is a visual novel tactics game in the style of like there's like a karma system where you're you can like get bad karma and it's like, like Shin Megami Tensei vibes in Digimon and then tactics RPG visual novel sounds like something I would play. Um, also, live 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 arrive live arrive. Um, Have you seen, however, with the Digimon Survive thing that the developers are like trying to embark the audience from talking about it? So. <laughs> I don't think this is that bad if you look at the context because it's only we don't want you to spoil the story chapter 5 and onwards is the embargo that they've put out. Um, which I think is fair, right? Well, um, I don't know. Just the way that the statement was kind of... I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's like, oh, this big critical bad thing. Um, more more amusing than anything else cause, but, they are, but they are like, we don't want you talking about the game but if you absolutely must use a spoiler tag. Which is, you know, it's just when you're not letting people review the game either or have review copies, I don't know, it just seems a bit too controlling if you ask me. Just a bit. Yeah, we'll like see. I, say, I don't n- think nothing, it'll be very nothing good. Nothing critical. Um, I only bought it out because it was more amusing than anything else. Like, Yeah, I'm not convinced it's going to be a very good game, but we will see really? the reviews in a little bit. I mean, there's been no reviews thus far. Um, oh, that's true. Uh, I just, I, I was actually kind of hoping this one might be good because I, I, I like the idea of a visual novel tactics matchup. I want it to be, uh, and I even quite like the Cyber Sleuth games. I think they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly accept, uh, acceptable. Um, well, there's definitely been more games that I would like to play that have been out at the minute that I haven't been. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 just came out as well. Game seems fantastic. Everyone seems to love it, so that's great. Um yeah, we've got a lot more games than I think we need at the minute, and even though it's been a bit slower, still a lot to play. So, Power Simulator, pretty good. Uh, and we did mention it briefly as being the only game of the year that's managed to beat Power Simulator, apart from Stray. But Dave, what's your take on God of War? Is it Norwegian Yakuza? <laughs> Norwegian Yakuza? 
oh my god that is actually a really fascinating descriptor for it it is a little like norwegian yakuza um there are some similarities between kiryu and kratos although kratos is a lot more of a dick than kiryu is um yeah because we talked about it last time and I have it on PlayStation Plus. I thought, you know what? I'll give this God of War that I've been meaning to get to a while a shot. And I was pleasantly surprised with a lot of it because I didn't think I was going to enjoy the gameplay too much. And it turns out I did. I think it overstayed its welcome by the end of it. I think the game was a little too long. But that's like the harshest criticism I could probably throw at it. Uh, And I just thought, it's a really excellent examination on a topic that i think games overdo usually and it's the sad dad game where it's like about a dad who is not very good at being a dad and is sad about it and has to use murder to you know prove how much they love their kid and to a certain extent it is that but it also firmly comes down on the side of and Kratos is bad because of it. Like, that's the whole the whole point of the story is that he doesn't want his son to become like him, but he's too trapped in his past to actually be an effective father to him. That changes across the story, but it was just actually kind of interesting to have a game that takes the view that no, it's not okay. It's not okay to just it's it's not okay if you really love your kid and would kill anyone for them. Because it's, it's one of the reasons I'm not a fan of The Last of Us, because I think The Last of Us is too comfortable with the fact that Joel, Joel kind of dooms humanity. Granted, The Last of Us 2 kind of takes the view that, yes, it was a kind of evil, terrible thing that he did. So, you know, kudos to the developers on that. But I just remember the release of the game at the time, everyone being like no joel is definitely a good guy hero and i'm like is he (laughs) like it was a bit like uh how breaking bad everyone who loved uh walt a bit too much um yeah i I think unfortunately people dealing absolutes there's a lack of real media literacy around protagonists i think if someone is a protagonist people assume that they are the good guy and don't question it you see it in so many times but after the whole homelander might actually be the hero stuff i have i have lost all hope for media criticism at large i think um but i think like the whole sad dad thing is a product of like you know game developers who kind of grown up in the games industry uh the people who you know so loved sonics as as a child or you know even who maybe even made the sonics now i don't know why i picked sonic uh, who maybe made the games of yesteryear and now dads and then a lot of the stories they want to write and the games they want to tell are about being dads because they are dads right uh, Cory Barlog himself, uh, I don't think he necessarily wrote this one, but he was involved in the director. He's a noted dad, famous dad, um, is a dad. Um, and um, a lot of game developers focus on daddy daddy stuff, uh, which I hadn't said like that. But the... Uh, sorry. I find it slightly depressing, though, that the developers, when they choose to tell a story about being a dad, it's usually about being an absent father who can't relate to their kids and i wonder if that's a side effect of just the fact that the game industry takes over your life when you're employed by it 
I think I think it's, it's also it's sad life. Yeah, that sorry. so many of them only have this story to tell. Well, I think it's also in the case of the first episode of the um, of the rehearsal is that you like to focus on your own insecurities and your own fears, uh, but also out of an actual place of fear that if making the game you have neglected your own children. And also murder has to have, it just has to be in a video game. If it's a triple A video game, it's got to have murder in it. Um, so much like the Nathan Drakes, although Nathan Drake kind of becomes a dad, right? Um, or whatever. Um, spoilers, sorry for Nathan Drake collection uh, released a few <laughs> years ago. But the, um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, there's got to be murder in it and reconciling those two things. But also I think that being a good dad, there's not a lot of conflict to that. So they choose the relationship between them fraying as part of the conflict. There's other ways you can do that. Uh, I don't know why I'm picking this one, but Kick-Ass has an example of, I think, really quite a relatively friendly father-daughter dynamic. Don't quote me on that. I haven't watched it in a while. It may actually be really problematic. Um, but you have Nicolas Cage and What's-Her-Face um, in Kick-Ass. And that's like, a, there's still a lot of conflict in that film, but it also has like a reasonably functional, given the circumstances, murder dad. Don't know. I mean, I don't know why you include the fact that the dad is a murder dad. If you are taking that fact aside, then yeah, I think I remember it being reasonably wholesome. Aside from the teaching your daughter to be a you know murderer, you've got to have the murder dad. Like it's it's (laughs) it's for for the ratings. It's to sell copies. You know. I think God of War though does a a really interesting way of threading the needle on that because there is a game that is has a huge amount of combat in it, but the way they sort of like get around. And to be fair, even in the previous God of War games, uh, he did traditionally during the game only fight monsters, demons and the like. But there was also a huge amount of collateral damage and a lot of times he would straight up murder people. Um, which is what this game is grappling with as well. Like uh, One of the more interesting things is that early on he refuses, well at least when, he, when he's asked if he only killed people who deserves it he lies and says yes and it's only later on because i I think the thing that's really interesting is they decide that at the end only a sort of radical kind of honesty from kratos is the only thing that's actually going to help his son avoid the path that he went down and i think that's just kind of interesting because again to compare it to the last of us joel never tells the truth but Kratos does. Maybe there is hope for him and his son. It does end with the implication that Kratos is going to die very soon, possibly at the hands of his own son. We don't know. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, at least in terms of, I think it'd be interesting to have his son pass the torch. He will be the new god of war. We will see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, they also, throughout the game, uh, threats come to them. They don't seek out enemies to fight so it's like when you do run into the gods of midgard it's because they found you not the other way around so yeah it's it's a different dynamic than the previous games even though there is plenty of things to fight and kill do you reckon we'll see kratos on the rehearsal i've like i told my son that i only kill things that deserve it and now i have to tell him that i was um, <laughs> allowed to him he sits down well, he, he already tells the truth by the end of the game oh. but rubbish you know maybe you would want to rehearse something like i need to have the puberty talk with atreus and i'm i already had the your half god chat well and that 
that was the whole thing and I want this one to go smoother um, I want this one to have as little murder of other gods as humanly possible but yeah I, I've watched the entire the entire game on YouTube and I've played the first few hours of it I liked the bit where I wrestled the naked man through the rock that was cool big fan of that um, I wish it was on top of a skyscraper in Camarucho, but apart from that, that's fine. I didn't. I kind of dropped it. I feel bad about dropping it. I actually liked it. Wish I played more of it. Just kind of dropped it. Story's really cool. I, really I enjoyed analyzing that. I think the main thing that. is the main thing to be there for is the story and the characters and stuff. If it were just the gameplay, I was like looking at, I would only sort of recommend it. The the gameplay is good. But it's most of the time it's functional. Like I say, there's probably a bit too much of it. The game could have done with being a bit smaller and tighter. I don't think it benefits from being an open world design. I think it probably would have been better had they just went with the old style of just levels that sort of interconnect a little. But hey, I know what it's like with games these days. They all have to be open worlds. And I think as open worlds go restrained itself enough there's not a huge amount of pointless collectibles and stuff and the ones that are there are easily ignorable they're not that related to leveling and stuff like that it's kind of like a hubby like small loading pocket open world like the shadow of Mordor games the second one whatever that was called shadow of war she's the shadow of Mordor, or whatever those ones them games the orc games um but yeah i think like uh I thought Atreus was a little nerd. Do not like him. Don't like fighting with him. Don't like seeing him on the screen. I wish they would delete him. I just want really? to be a that's, big man that's... and kill things. He's a he little did nerd. not like Atreus. Like Betrayus. Am I right? <laughs> what a little nerd. And on that subject, talking about little nerds, uh, multiverses. <laughs> I was gonna. Uh, maybe maybe that's a better. Uh, a, a better segue to Dream Drop Distance of Birth by Sleep. Um, I have been playing um, a lot of Kingdom Hearts. My friend got me into the Kingdom Hearts series because he really liked them. I think they're fine. I genuinely quite enjoy them. There's some bits that I really like. They're not my favorite series ever, but I play them and I think that's okay. And I think largely the reason why I play them and I think that's okay is I have no real attachment to Disney. Um, the Disney worlds are tolerable at best, if I'm honest. Uh, sometimes they're okay. I played the Fantasia one in Dream Drop Distance earlier today, and I actually quite enjoyed it. I like Jack Skellington in the Nightmare Before Christmas ones. Um, sometimes I like the ones, the uh, snow, not, what's it called? Um, the Fish Lady Under the Sea. What's her name? Um, fish Disney Fish Lady, Dave, please. Oh, God, I'm dying here. Uh, uh, Ariel? Ariel in The Little Mermaid. It was in front of me the entire time. Uh, the Little Mermaid ones are okay can't believe if I had actually just literally called her a mermaid instead of a fish lady, I think I would have got there. Um, but Little Mermaid ones are okay sometimes. Some of these Disney worlds are alright, uh, but I mainly want them for the complete nonsense. And I love the complete nonsense. I remember nonsense. really liking the Tron one in Kingdom Hearts 2. There's another Tron one just kind in, of... in Dream Drop Distance as well. Um, I kind of just like how much it doesn't really fit in. It's just like it's just like we have the rights. Let's do Tron. <laughs> Let's do this weird sort of. I can't remember. I might have to like recheck this, but I remember liking how it actually looked like that terrible sort of nineteen seventies, eighties design. I actually don't remember what year Tron came out, 
it's like, but where everything looks like it's been like drawn over. Um, I like how they sort of replicate that in Kingdom Hearts too. The Kingdom Hearts two one is like actual old school Tron. The Kingdom Hearts uh, Dream Drop Distance one is Tron Legacy, all complete ah. with fake looking, weird, actually human looking Jeff Bridges. Whenever Sora stands next to an actual human being, like in Pirates of the Caribbean world as well, it's like, what happened to you? <laughs> like, uh, it's like that shot of Sonic the Hedgehog holding an actual hedgehog. Like, what made you this way? Why do you look like but this? Who, who's uh, the freakish one? Like, is Sora the freak or is, is the human ones? That are, does, ever, does like Donald Duck and Goofy go, what is wrong with this Captain Jack fellow? What, what happened to his head, his body? Like, actually, I feel like they would look at the more human designs as the freakish ones because they're 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 already pretty cartoony so they are they they i don't think they like us or trust us uh i think they only helped us because they had to don't don't talk to me about donald duck he's a he's a nerd he can join the list of nerds ben's list of nerds atreus and donald duck goofy's a bro from early love goofy goofy's my g donald duck is a nerd um although actually voiced by shunakiyama from the yakuza series in japanese Donald Duck. Who did the voice in uh, Yakuza? Uh, Shu Nakayama. Um, yeah. Huh? Who did the voice in uh, Yakuza? Shu Nakayama. Oh, that's the name of the yes. character. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Who's, from, who's that then? From Yakuza 4 and 5, the, the protagonist guy with the red coat. Um, the really cool one who looks a bit like Dante from Devil May Cry. Don't you mean Akiyama? Yeah, Shu Nakayama. His first name Shun. Are you putting an N at the beginning of the second name? Yes, because that's the end of his first name. Shun Akiyama. Shun. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It's cool. My bad. No, it's completely <laughs> cool. Uh, he plays Donald Duck. Uh, I always get Donald and Daffy mixed up. Donald is the one I mean in the sailor costume. Um, he's really he's really annoying. I hate Donald Duck. Uh, Goofy's cool. And I generally, I think the thing I do like about these games that I've played is like... You can never say that they're phoning it in. They never phone it in. Every single game has some wild gameplay mechanics. Like, I played um, Birth by Sleep. It has just this random board game in for some reason. You play a board game in the middle of stuff. There's also like a card deck building game to have the abilities that you use that it takes from Chain of Memories. Dream Drop Distance has this like really weird mechanic where you have like this resource that ticks down that is how long your dream lasts before it swaps to the other player and that's a resource you have to use it also has pokemon in it for some strange reason it has rail grinding parkour um every single game they just ram strange design decisions and weird stuff in it and it's never boring it's always interesting at the very least um so i mean i do I kinda like, like that. that idea that maybe i should play some of these side games because i only played kingdom hearts one two and chain of memories but I like that attitude where they're just like, let's just throw shit at the wall, see what sticks. It's it's one of the things I love about the Yakuza games, or just in general, a sort of a design ethos that you generally only see in Japanese works, where they just like put random shit in their games and just run with it. One thing I that's really it. cool about Dream Drop Distance is they have, like, each world has a special thematic heat move, I guess, to use the Yakuza example. When you finish someone off, you can press triangle to do a heat move. In uh, Tron, you get to hack them, and then you have to do a little mini game where you can choose one of four options to make them do. 
So you can take them over and reprogram them to work for you. You can hack them to give you money or whatever. You can like make them explode. You can open up new passageways and things like that. In the Fantasia world, you do that and it's like a rhythm mini game and you have to match the rhythm to the Fantasia music. And if you do, they explode. Um, in the Pinocchio world, they turn into a giant bubble and you roll them around like Katamari Damacy. And then you gather up other people into a massive bubble then pop them and kill them all. Like, it's constantly creative um, and always really interesting. And there's Pokemon for some reason. There's Pokemon. Why is there Pokemon? Um, <laughs> and you, there's like a Nintendog-style tickle screen where you tickle your nightmare elephant and then teach it spells and it follows you around instead of a party. So strange. However, I think that if you were to play a side game and you kind of at least tolerate or like Kingdom Hearts, I think Birth by Sleep is genuinely the best Kingdom Hearts. Like, maybe... I think two's better. So two is, I think, the best Kingdom Hearts that I've played. But I think Birth by Sleep's number two. I think Birth by Sleep is fantastic. It really is good. Um, very, very good. Also has Leonard Nimoy as Xehanort. So that's kind of cool. Ooh. Do you love a bit of Leonard Nimoy? And Mark Hamill, for some reason. as So you know the Master Yen Said, which is the wizard in Disney's Fantasia, which is just Disney yep. backwards or whatever. In uh, Birth by Sleep, they have Master, like, oh, what's his name? Squ... Quenox or something, um, which is Square Enix mi- mixed oh, up and God damn it. and that's it. I was like, I was like, they're just making shit up now, and I'm like, no, that's yeah, of course it would be Phoenix backwards, and that's Mark Hamill, um, and there's various other people that they managed to get out of places, and I think genuinely has an actual c- character who is a woman in Kingdom Hearts that I actually think I like, and that has some kind of bearing on the plot, has something that she actually wants from life rather than Kyrie, who is just like basically just like an objective for Sora that exists. Um and also Shion actually is kinda cool. I like Shion. Um so I take that back. Shion and Aqua, you're okay. Kyrie, you're not very good. Um Kyrie can join the nerds list. Have we got three of them here? <laughs> then Hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna write down your nerds list. Nerds this list. Is... You can find out what kind of people I like, but Atreus, uh, Donald Duck and Kyrie are all nerds okay cool uh, apart from that game's really cool really creative really interesting don't like the disney stuff as much but the main plot stuff is really cool dave how do you fancy talking a little bit about root letter root letter is a visual novel game about someone who receives a letter 15 years after a relationship they had with a pen pal and then goes to the town where they came from to figure out what happened to the pen pal. And it's sort of implied to have, like, there was a murder involved and there are people mentioned in the letters that you have to track down and then convince them to open up and admit that they are those people because they are all hiding the truth for some reason. And I really like this aspect of the game where you, like have to like find the person but then also get them to admit who they are uh it feels like you're sort of digging up a past that people would rather left buried but it also has some really weird parts that i think might be down to the translation because because these are letters written by a schoolgirl, although admittedly it is a schoolgirl who's about to go to university so we're talking quite old but the nicknames are like stuff like Shorty, Bestie, 
But then there are others that are like bitch and fatty. And okay, I'm like, I can get that I can get behind that for some weird reason. But it's the fact that the main character that you play as will constantly refer to these people by those names even after he knows who they are like there will be the occasional time like he'll be like oh hey your fiance fatty how's he doing and it's like and she'll be like his name is jun <laughs> like why are you calling him fatty or they'll be like hey four eyes it's like dude why are you being such a dick like maybe these people would be much more willing to talk to you if you didn't call them fatty like and you not just that you have to like convince fatty to admit who he is by like emotionally abusing him until he breaks down and eats a bunch of chocolate brutal (laughs) wow i'm like and admittedly it only felt really uncomfortable for the fatty and the bitch segments because it's just like why are you being so mean like why can't you try a different approach first and then maybe i'll feel a little bit better about it when you have to go down a harsher route but no you just go straight for it and never relents it's it's by it's 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 by far the weirdest thing in the game and i wonder if it's down to the translation or something Um, it's me i'm a tough cop i'm here to solve murders not make friends dave (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> interestingly i have seen on steam and this is notable as of time of recording it is only two pounds um on steam yeah i picked it up on switch for a fiver which i think it'll still be at this point um i don't think i would have paid more than that i think one of the things that holds it back a little is the fact that and i didn't realize this when i bought it is that it's more of a young adult fiction like it never really can so it, things like the mystery unravels at a really slow rate particularly right at the end where you're trying to identify the last classmate it's like it was obvious four chapters ago and you literally have him like learn so many things that confirm what the player has already figured out and he just doesn't piece the pieces together until the game's like okay now is the time you know and let's go confront them but it's just a bit like yeah, we'd figured this one out a while ago. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, like, uh, so in general, how do you think about the art and the presentation? Um, how do you think about like the music or any of the other kind of intangibles that put the uh, put the game together? Like, uh, I think um, it uses photographs uh, of like locations and photographs of people rather than an art style which actually is something i think uh, is to the game's uh, benefit is yeah it reminds me of shibuya 365 I can't shibuya scramble the yeah fault. shibuya scramble uh, uh in that respect uh, in a positive way because it just uh, they're a good deal more expressive at times, though, it can be kind of goofy because they still do that anime thing of having characters like act really shocked and stuff like that. And but it makes it more charming than anything else, even when it's extremely goofy. Uh, one of the things that is a bit the game is a bit janky in that you are constantly having to figure out what the game wants you to do rather than have the freedom to explore the game at any kind of pace. Um, 
as well as there there are times of just sheer frustration is when the game's like oh i guess i have to wait around and then you have to play find the pixel on the screen and click enough things for the game to progress and it's not clear which what you did that triggers the event oh there are a few times that i was like this is really annoying <laughs> classic point and click uh, business yeah. um yeah i think uh, one of the things that was a bit disappointing is that the ending is a bit of a letdown um at least the ending i got um i did look up some of the other endings and actually what are considered the quote-unquote bad endings are the ones that sound the most interesting because they actually have a mystery that would be worth solving because when you get to the end of the good ending it just kind of like it's like well why did everyone keep it a secret (laughs) like why has this been something that's holding people back for 15 years it kind of doesn't make sense in retrospect so i think um i might play through it again to get one of the the so-called bad endings that actually sound really interesting but yeah overall i think if you get it at a very at the cheap price point it is now you won't be disappointed but like two quid is uh, pretty amazing um yeah two quid quid is amazing amazing. yeah. yeah I think um, this feels, uh, I don't know if this is the case, but it feels like their first attempt at such a game. There is a, maybe spiritual sequel is more accurate because it's not like it has any of the characters or anything from it, called Root Film, which is aimed at an older audience and is very well regarded, apparently. I haven't played it yet, but I am interested to play it because... I do think there were a lot of interesting ideas here. Like I think the fact that you're coming to a town with all these people with a history and trying to like slowly uncover it. Great idea. Maybe not executed perfectly. Um, which of these did you play? So there's Root Letter and Root Letter Last Answer. Last Answer is the one I played and it is just the, the it's the same game as the previous one with some extra stuff added on and it, it expanded the endings. A it's bit. also with pictures of people. The last one has drawings which is why I was getting confused when you said it has pictures oh. which is interesting. So the whole oh I didn't I didn't even realize that Yeah, yeah. So, oh wow. So it's, it's a lot more of like a traditional visual novel. I'll just put it in Discord for you here if you'd like to have a look at it. So like there is a root letter traditional visual novel thing and there's a root letter last answer with a bunch actually, of... Actually, now that I think about it, I do remember something in the option menu about older graphics or something. Oh, it might even be worth playing it just to go back and see what the more traditional style looked like because may- maybe I'll have liked it more or I don't know. Um, I do like the, the the strangeness of using the photographs rather than anything else. I'm a sucker for live action, though. I think it's hilarious. I love how kind of like B movie often is. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I I love the uh, so this is only two quid again. The last answer it's slightly more expensive than the one pound fifty of the other one, and I, I love that the live action stuff. I'm a big fan of that. Um, looking at the uh, developer Dragami Games, they also do God Wars, the complete legend which is a full-skill tactical RPG um, receiving great reviews all around the world. Um, and does it, have, it has mostly positive reviews on Steam, although not a lot of people have reviewed it, it seems. Uh, but it looks like an old-school kind of tactical RPG, which looks real fun, actually. Um, uh, 
Interesting. Okay, well, lots of stuff for us to look at. Maybe have a look for the future, but would you say I should pick it up for £2, Dave? Absolutely. For £2, £2. you can't go wrong. Why not? Two quid. Like, yeah. Like I say, even if it's, you know, has a bit of a disappointing ending and some weird, cruel parts of the game, I think there's a lot to like about it. Um, yeah, I, I hate number ratings, but it gives you an idea of sort of where I feel about it. But I'd give it like a six or a seven comfortably. If you were to, how many sausage rolls is two quid now? Price of inflation, that's like two sausage rolls now, right? Rue three? Yeah, two, two and a half. That's brutal. Like Greg's, Greg, Greg's chopper, sausage rolls are pretty cheap still, relatively. They used to be four for a pound, Greg. Oh, Greg. Your name's not Greg. Greg's is the name of the... Uh... <laughs> Greg! <laughs> they used to be four quid, Dev. They used to be four for a pound, Dev. Um, back in my they day. They did? Yeah. Fuck it. And you, like, and you could get an onion barge the size of your head, and when you went outside, it was like really, really like a pea soup. It was a lot... You know, we lived in a cardboard box. Um, I don't know. It's wild, but like that's the inflation. It's like the Freddo thing that we had, like they used to judge the inflation is how much a sausage roll is. And this game is two sausage rolls, and it's probably worth that, even if I do really like sausage rolls. Um, oh man, this live action version looks great. Um, it is a mystery adventure game with the culture of a local region in Japan. Um, <laughs> the actors are like posing with that looks like like a saw mask. Like a kind of a Freddy Krueger kind of costume as well, and that kind of thing. Very strange. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not in the game, as far as I'm aware. Very bizarre. Is it a Freddy Krueger mask or is it a fox? Mask? Uh, no. So there is like, I forgot. What, I think it's it's like a um, like a full kind of covering with a few bit pieces in it. I've forgotten what the guy looks like. He's like got Crocs for a face. It's called um, what's his name? He's, he's like a horror dude who beats people up. And he's got like a mask on. Jason? I don't think it's Jason. Um, Wilkinson. He's the one with the hockey mask. Anyway. Oh, is it, it, it is a hockey mask. So it's, it's a Jason, yeah. Yeah, there's nobody in a hockey mask in that game. Uh, the closest anyone has to wearing a mask is a scene from the past where they're all wearing fox masks. So that's really funny that that's in like the marketing materials or something. Or maybe it's in one of the endings I didn't get. So Possibly. Very strange. That's cool. I'll add it to my wish list uh, right about now, and I'll, I'll try and pick it up if I if I think on. Um, cool. I'm talking about visual novels. Uh, got a six out of ten uh, for two pounds. Something that cost a lot more than two pounds is brand new. It's a game that I have been very very hotly anticipating. A game called Yurikuru, the Kalumination Games, Kalumination Games, which is an actual word that means a thing. So that that was the worth of the price of entry is learning what a Kalumination was. Um, however, we've been talking about this for a while. Um, my comments on Eurokill are as such. Me and Dev have talked about it at length off the podcast, so we'll try and be brief. Um, I really like the music. I like the presentation. I like the characters. Um, I do think that, unfortunately, the actual gamey parts of the game, I think, are maybe railroaded a little too much. Uh, even though I did struggle on some of the puzzles in parts, I felt that like they robbed me of being able to figure it out a little bit by just telling me where to look. Um, they had a really, really nice feature that I think more of these games should have, which is a hints mode, where if you needed hints or wanted hints, you could press a button. But unfortunately, by default, I think they gave you a lot of hints. So as a result, they kind of like robbed you of some of the 
working out some of the puzzle, which I thought was a little sad. Other than that, um, voice acting was good on general, I think. Great voice acting cast. Um, actual beats of the story, I feel like maybe towards the last half it starts to melt down a little bit and not make as much sense. It doesn't really end in a satisfying fashion, which is sad because I was very on board to play the game. Um, but I, uh, I, you know, I did enjoy my time with Gurakiru, but I think a lot of your... And I think, you know, anyone listening to this could probably also have a nice time with Yurikuru, but I think that will be dictated by how palatable the bullet hell sections are for you. Um, I quite enjoyed the bullet hell sections, but I think they really fell down in the difficulty department, where the hard difficulty was obscenely hard, and I failed for four hours trying to complete the tutorial. Um, oh no, the first level, sorry, the tutorial you can't fail, but I would have. And the normal difficulty, the next one down, is so easy to the point of being completely trivial, which was really sad. Yeah. Um, so I think that, unfortunately, they got the balancing wrong with that. But I personally kind of enjoyed the bullet hell sections. Um, I think the only thing that I... The main thing that I think I'd like to improve is maybe take out a... You know, you've got these great systems that you've made to help players. Just use them more and give people less clues on exactly what to do, please. That would be great. Uh, and also, I didn't really like the final last part of the game, which I thought was maybe a little too light for the... I mean, the game in, in, on, in the whole was a bit too light, I think. But I, they, they really decided to go for, I think, kind of like a Marvel-style finale, in the same way that I think Attack on Titan did as well. Uh, and the, the author of Attack on Titan said he wanted it to be a Marvel-style finale, and I think it kind of was a Marvel movie-style finale, and I don't think that really fit the game. And I didn't enjoy it as much. However, overall, I still had a fine time with the game. I think that it's not an exemplary visual novel, but I think that it is also okay. I think it's fine. I had a fine time with it. And I'm not upset with the amount of money I spent on it. I still had, I still enjoyed my time. But it isn't something that I think is a masterpiece, or it won't be in my top 10 for the year, I think. Yeah, I think I feel relatively the same. I think I was a little, well, more than a little harsher on the game than you uh i'll start with the stuff i sort of agreed on like i also thought the difficulty curve with the shoot 'em up sections were a bit was just too wide uh i would have appreciated a bit more difficulty uh one of the things that i was also really disappointed by was that the murders sort of like solving aspect of the game was way too rudimentary like to the point where i wouldn't even really call any of them mysteries because you don't solve anything you just get given the information that explains it there's no deduction going on not even by the characters they are literally given the evidence that explains things and that makes the sections in the bullet hell bits where you're like present the right piece of information it's like well i already know what the right piece of information was because you told me it five times before you asked me like so it's just way too handholdy for those parts like i would have appreciated just any kind of solving to do with the mysteries uh it would have been nice it's especially galling where one of the chapters is you on a train where they're like we're going to make you solve three murders and you don't solve any of them. Maybe the last one technically, but they really hammer home what the only solution would be before you get asked about it. It's just... 
Yeah, I think it wanted to be Danganronpa, but they didn't know how to go about it. I even I, I, I think it's really interesting in the first one in that you actually your characters decide that they're going to give up and not do it. And then the solution is just made immediately obvious. Kinda of sucks a little bit. Kinda of takes the wind out your sails a little bit. Yeah. Because um. I like like I say, it's trying to be Danganronpa, I think. And you see it in things like the visual style, the fact that it's a bunch of people put together in a sort of killing game type situation. Um, and and the ways that it sort of emulates it that I liked at the beginning of each chapter there's these bits where they sort of like hint at what the thing is going to be with this it reminds me of the sort of like where they would throw the pink blood and stuff and the weird sort of like pop art thing of Danganronpa but it's own sort of style like uh, I, I quite like those bits those were the bits where I felt like they were emulating it in a good way uh, and I felt like there were certain, like the title suggests, uh, calumniation, which is like, it's it's to do with like accusing someone. Um, the best parts are where it's sort of dealing with the idea of criminality and responsibility, where they are teamed up with the victim of the crime they've been accused of. And it's more about not so much solving or proving innocence, but convincing that person. So it's like you're making arguments to convince a person rather than prove anything. But those moments are really kind of rare and few and far between. Instead, it just goes the traditional route. Um, in the first chapter, the bit where you're, you know, you decide to convince the person of your innocence by trying to sacrifice yourself was interesting. In the carnival level, where you, the, the only way you get to live, apparently, is by admitting your guilt. So it's like an interesting sort of mind game, or in the fourth chapter with like the idol and the fan who is the victim so there's a weird dynamic going on there but that's but the rest of the time they really cut the wind out of the sails like in the second one you've got like two twins accused of a crime and they're like oh only one of you can survive this so it's like really dark and dire but then they're like actually no only one of you that one of you think, nah, we've changed your mind about that. And it's just like, why would you do that? Why would you cut the drama out of your own story? But I think that's because they don't, despite wanting to be Danganronpa, I don't think they had the courage to actually kill off any of their characters. No, it's it's definitely done with a real light hand. Um, which I think is a shame. I do think as a game, it takes a lot of risks. Like, as a package, it is a risky package. It's a weird game. Um, one second. It's a risky game. Um, but I think, like, and for that reason, I think I would endorse it as a thing that it should exist. Um, I think it was kind of weird that it exists, and I like, I like that I played it for that reason. But I think it needs a bit more time in the oven. It needed a bit more refinement, because a lot of what they had was solid. 
Like, it is not a boring game. It's a game that really appeals to me. And I think it's because it has a lot to like about it that I find it to be not disappointing, but I, I would have liked to have seen more from the game. I preferred this game to Danganronpa 1, but I have been outspoken with my slight dislike of Danganronpa 1 because the gameplay sections made me want to tear my eyes out. Um, but I actually kind of enjoyed the gameplay sections in this one. Um, but I, I hated, like, you know, oh, did, who did this murder? Now do a word search! Oh, <laughs> colour in the dots. You'll get to make a comic later. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, big shout out to uh, Prezi D uh, for that sketch. That's really funny, um, which I was just doing an impression of. But the, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't like those sections of it. And I also found like a, the oh-ho-so-so randomness of the humour in Danganronpa to not be anywhere as funny as Binko. Binko was a genuine star of the show. She is the... Uh, was it Kumamon or whatever he's called in Danganronpa? The like bear announcer, Monokuma, Monokuma. the uh, the kind of announcer um, who does a lot of the the Graham Norton style announcer of the Death Games. I don't know why I picked Graham Norton, who kind of talks a lot about, about a bunch of stuff, cracks jokes, holds it all together. Is generally the opposite of the straight man uh, to every, in every single situation. That car- that person was incredible. She really really carried it, um, and I would like to see more of this series but maybe would like to uh see them iterate on it a little bit and maybe uh, decide what they want the game to be because i felt like there was a lot of yeah. things pulling in a lot of different situations but are not in the terms of the ways i wanted i liked the bullet hell and all those sections fighting i didn't like the fighting of the tone in the game um i think yeah i kind of agree in that i think if they jettison a lot of what they focused on in terms of the story and stuff like that in Urukul and then focus on the bits that were the most compelling then I think yeah I would really like to see a sequel in fact I'd kind of want to see a sequel just for Binko I, I agree that Binko was the star of the show very funny um I definitely think the attempt was to do their own Monokuma and I actually think the in isolation i think like if you're just looking at the two characters i definitely like binko more i just think it would have been better if she was in a better story um so yeah i wouldn't mind seeing her turn up again uh in my mind i don't think you need to jettison a lot i think i would just maybe like to see that last part of the game they lowered the stakes through a bunch of decisions and i think took a lot of the wind out of the sails in terms of the payoff I think if they'd raise the stakes by, you know, killing off a few people, I think that actually... It's weird to say because I don't think killing people makes a good series. And I think like the I think a lot of people have learned from Game of Thrones and the wrong ways of killing people off is just good. But I think in this case, I think it really would have helped help the stakes along of actually having the villain, uh, you know, come through on... Um, have something go wrong rather than everything kind of goes right it didn't even have to be a high body count even if they just let the other twin die in chapter two that would have been enough for me because it would have been uh okay this is a situation where characters can die even if even if hardly any do but it was the fact that literally no one not even the villain at the end killing themselves is actually true they fake their death and it's like it's rough yeah your game's called yuru kill no it's yurukuru it's a greeting yurukuru 
Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's it's grim. I mean, I think if they paid through and kind of really, yet again, ha- they deflated their stakes. I think if they'd ended it strongly, I think I maybe could have been more forgiving of a lot of the stuff at the start, even if I think there were a few minor missteps. I think the major... It's like when you do a driving test, right? You can have a bunch of minors. You can have like 12 minors before you fail your test. But one major does you in. And I think that major towards the end, I would have maybe liked to have seen... The men dealt on a bit more of a dower note, things kind of go wrong, and then they win, and then you end it as quickly as possible. It ended far too sunny and cheerily for me to really appreciate a lot of the game. Uh, it felt like a, you know, like a low-fat, even though I really do like low-fat stuff, maybe I should have picked something different. Um, it felt like they really, uh, you know, took the sausage out the hot dog. That is not a metaphor people say, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I, I agree with your statement. Hang on, our thing that really annoyed me about the ending was the fact that they take the joke characters who I quite liked as joke characters, and then they were like, "Well, actually, one of them is a genius who literally they're like has hundreds of doctorates, and which is an insane thing to say of a character who I think is like twenty, and they're like, and she's gonna hack the matrix and save the day and." crush the bad guys and it's like way too much of a deus ex machina. you know the characters don't get their way out of the situation someone else just does all the work and saves the day like and it's not even vaguely alluded to that she has any of those sort of abilities uh it was just the game definitely its story needed more than the one draft that it felt like it had. It felt like a first draft that had been hastily cobbled together like the night before, where like all the good ideas are at the beginning and then they're just like, fuck, I just gotta finish this. Anything will do. Yeah, I mean to put it in perspective, Kiwami too, uh, you know, Karo Sayama also is a super hacker by surprise and does some stuff. But in the end, the only way you can really conclude anything is getting half naked and beating someone at the top of a skyscraper. And she needs to understand that. It doesn't matter if you die, you just got to kill a dude. You know, that's just what's going to happen. And uh, maybe uh, m- maybe the, uh, they-, they work should have learned from the pinnacle of fiction, Yakuza Kiwami 2. Not even my favorite Yakuza game. Not even, probably the second worst Yakuza game is still better than every other game ever. And that's the bottom line, because Ben Love said so. Um, Multiverses. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's all the Eurocruise stuff we have, right? Like, we talked a good bunch about it. I mean, if we had to put an actual rating on it, I'd give it like a seven, maybe. I think you'd give it like a three, I think you said. Maybe that was slightly too much. Possibly. You want to rescind that statement? You give it a four? Maybe a four. Because, I w- like, even though they weren't my cup of tea, the shoot 'em up segments are really well designed and put together. Aside from the difficulty curve problem. Um, and some of the puzzles in isolation, and a bit like the Professor Layton style, because they, they're not they're not puzzles in a grander adventure game sense. They're literally, you're about to do a logic puzzle to get the evidence you need or something like that. Some of them, towards the end of the game, actually got quite decent. Um, so... Yeah, maybe four might be a bit closer to how I really feel. Um, yeah. Much worse than a game that costs two pounds. Um, so, that's grim. Anyway, um, I will probably play the, the game that Dev likes and give it a four, and we'll see who's laughing then. 
Uh, and on to multiverses. <laughs> so multiverses is the weird meme land of it's like a Smash Brothers game except it uses just general Warner Brothers properties. Um, it came out the other day. So for example, you know you can fight Taz the Tasmanian Devil with Arya Stark from Game of Thrones versus Velma and Shaggy, or Superman and Batman or Wonder Woman. Uh, or Finn from Adventure Time. It's just like a random, like, emptying the septic tank of Warner Brothers properties onto the carpet and seeing, rearranging them around and seeing what fits where. That was a weird metaphor. I'm full of them today, much like the septic tank. But I think, like, the interesting thing about it is that, like, it is genuinely a good game. And that surprised me more than I care to admit. I think it's actually quite good. And in fact, I think it was because I had such low expectations going in that it really started to surprise me. And I think the reason why I like it so much, it is a 2v2 fighting game. I've never played anything like that before, but it means that you can have people who are more focused on support and helping your friend and supporting your friend uh, and playing with people. Uh, and I think it, at the end of the day, it is a genuinely good game. It's free. Um, the meme factor is there. I play as Bugs Bunny and Taz. Um, I think it is really have these really fun characters that are written with care. A lot of money's been spent in the right places. But it is genuinely an incredibly fun game that takes just a few minutes. Uh, it's really, really fun to play with another friend because it's 2v2. There's little perks you can um, customize to be able to tech against various strategies and help you out and you know, kind of mold around the game. Uh, this is m the biggest surprise of the year for me in a game that like, I thought I would think would just be meme fodder and would be bad at best. And I, it's, it's all I've wanted to play like four or five hours a day for the past couple of days. It's quite incredible. So... Yeah, that's how I feel about multiverses. We've talked a little bit about it, but genuinely bowled over with how good this is in comparison to how much I expected it to be good. Um, I think it's wild that this game has actually managed to be as good as it is because I don't think it's just your opinion because, like, granted, it's free to play, but I think, like, as like it's had, like, 100,000 concurrent players since its launch um which is wild for a fighting game particularly that's just on steam but i just remember um, on consoles no, yeah that's just on yeah. steam that's not even including all the other platforms um but like i remember when this was first leaked and people were like this is not real a game where Arya stark fights the iron giant is not real <laughs> and it just i don't know it just it looked cheap it looked um it looked like an April Fool's joke, frankly. And even when it was like, okay, the game is real and the game is coming out, it's just like, I was still like, oh no, it's just it's just going to be an oddity. And now it seems to have come out and it's actually innovated on the fighting game genre and is actually quite good. I haven't played it yet, but the fact that Ben has lived this game for the past week has made me go holy shit, I have to check this out. I don't even like fighting games by and large, but I'm like, nah, man, I have to play Bugs Bunny beating the shit out of Velma. Although, admittedly, that was your team-up with your friend recently. We, we do Bugs Bunny uh, and Velma, or Taz and Wonder Woman are our combos. Um, classic, classic combos. Um, I think, to actually add to your point as well about the build-up to this game, the Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl game came out as well and was not very good at all. The one where you could, like, you know, fight spongebob with like ed, ed and eddie um didn't really go down very well because it was just trying to be it was just trying to be smash brothers it was a premium game yeah. in the smash brothers style with smash brothers stuff this is not smash brothers it feels a lot like a platform fighter like smash brothers and that's obviously where it's like 
you know, that's where its inspiration is. Like, there's even a mode that you can select to change your controls to be the same as Smash Brothers in the options. Like, it understands what it is. Um, but there's a lot of ways that it's different. The 2v2 fighting element, if that wasn't there and I couldn't just play with a friend for a few minutes at a time, I would not have given this game a second thought. I would have played it once and been like, 1v1, this isn't where I'm at as a person, this is not what I want to be playing. But 2v2, it becomes an addictively fun experience. Um, and a really nice way just to play a casual fighting game with a friend and work together. Like, the thing I like about fighting games is I can play a game with you and it lasts like a few minutes. And then we can go play another game and another game and another game. It's very Moorish, you know? Um, and to the, traditionally in fighting games, you're just fighting against each other and smacking each other. It's always me versus you. And if I'm much better than you, then it's not very fun for you or it's not very fun for me because you're just beating me up. In 2v2, it's the matchmaking of our team. And now it doesn't matter if I'm better than my friend. Both both of us can have fun because the matchmaking will match us to the other team. And we're working together, comboing our abilities off each other, constructing strategies as a team, smacking people around, and all it lasts is a few minutes. What a great idea. What a great game. What a great niche they've exploited. And it's done horrendously well for them. They had a community event just a few days ago. Um, you had to get 10 million takedowns. Uh, and they said it's going to last the weekend. And then you'll get the new stage. It's the Rick and Morty stage because Rick and Morty's coming to it next. Um, so they said, yeah, Rick and Morty stage, 10 million takedowns, and you get this stage. And two and a half hours later, the stage went live after 10 million takedowns happened in just two and a half hours. <laughs> Ridiculous. A takedown is when you knock someone off a screen and there's maximum eight of them in a game. In two and a half hours, 10 million. You can't even count to 10 million in like, it takes like a, a few days to count to 10. I wonder how long it takes to count to 10 million. Probably a long time. A lot longer than... Two, yeah, probably like a, a week at A least. longer than two and a half hours. Um, so it is really mad to me that this game is having its time in the sun. And I think that they have a really good product off it. Like, I'm surprised with how good it is. So, would recommend. I think I think one of the things that like kind of surprises me, and maybe shouldn't have, because when they released a trailer for the game, and it's the one that I think has like Superman and Shaggy and stuff like that. And it's like, and I was like, man, it's really dumb having all these sort of like conflicting styles of character fight each other. But now comes come to it from the opposite opinion. I actually think it's really rad because you were describing some of the things to me like Velma looks for clues and then has the police arrest them. I'm just like I just I just want to see a game where Superman gets arrested by the police and can't do shit about it, like, or um, Taz turns people into chicken and you can eat them. Like it's, and I think it's exactly it's uh, for that reason why I think it's a fun game, but also why I think it's such a poor competitive game. I don't think this is going to be the big one v one, you know, maniac that smashes at times at like a big fighting game tournament. This is a game that's meant to be imbalanced because everyone's trying to do different things. Like Tom and Jerry, for example, you control Jerry and Tom and he'll constantly throw things at Jerry and Jerry will throw them back because they fight each other. So you have to like angle the enemies in between Tom and Jerry so you all your projectiles hit them instead of Tom and Jerry, for example. So you, it's, it's kind of like ice climbs a little bit, except you're just positioning Jerry and they can move Jerry around too. So you, it's all about like positioning Jerry so Tom can chuck stuff at him. Um... Or like, you know, Batman and Superman are a bit more standard, as you'd imagine, although all have the things you'd expect from them. Superman's an aerial mastermind, and Batman can, you know, cripple people and throw batarangs at them and swing around. He's really fun. 
I mean, you've also got um, Finn from Adventure Time, who's just Dalsim from Street Fighter, who's really stretchy. You can also, you know, transform into things. The Iron Giant, who is a bizarre choice, who can do this, like, down smash, where he tucks himself into himself and, like, bombs the ground, which is obscenely powerful. Um, you know, there's, like, I think they've done a really good job in trying to take swings and make things different and have all these characters feel different and as a result it's made the game feel really fun we'll see if it sticks around i don't know if it's going to be a really competitive game or have a competitive scene but for like a little 2v2 game you play with your friend it's free you get them on you have a you know you have a little chat with them while you play and you just smack around and do some stuff this is the best game for that it's great next the turbo golf racing I really like turbo golf racing for the same reason. You can snip in for a few minutes, work together, smash a ball down a course, match up some people, beat up Batman, and then go on. Sounds great. What a game. Good fun. Uh, and that's all I have to say on that. I think it's. Uh, I will update you with, see if I'm just as obsessed with it in a few in a few weeks time. But I have been no lifing multiverses with my friend. I love it, um, and that really surprised me. <laughs> and I and I will let you also know if I have also been converted. And maybe the week after that, we will turn this into a multiverse only. The multiverse cast, I like it. Well, we definitely have to play together. I'd like to. Um, that would be awesome. Cool. Then I think just on the docket now, um, the only thing we have left to talk about is Escape Academy. And I actually heard midweek a little bit of interesting trivia about Escape Academy that I will try and repeat. Sorry if it's wrong. But the people that make Escape Academy are not a traditional games development or publishing studio. The actual thing they work in is in escape rooms. Uh, and they make escape rooms. And the reason they made Escape Academy was because during the pandemic, it turns out escape rooms weren't really getting a lot of um, a lot of people going there. But video games were popping off. So they were like, you know what we should do? Take a lot of the funds we were going to invest into making new escape rooms and make a video game. And that will sell well, no matter what the conditions of the pandemic is or not. Uh, and it's an interesting prospect. Like Escape rooms were made as a reaction to video games. They seek to emulate like puzzle games and point and click games and take them into a into an actual space for people to explore. And this takes them back and brings them back. And now this is a reaction to video games actually, you know, what makes video games special again away from escape rooms. And I've played the game, so I'll give the floor to Dave. Let's go. Yeah, um, I think that's a fascinating bit of trivia. I think, yeah, no, it really shows uh, in the game itself. Because they do feel authentically like escape room style things with like somebody talking to you. If I think about it, I didn't even notice this while playing, but there's always somebody sort of talking to you for an intercom or sitting in the level to guide you to tell if you're doing the wrong thing or something like that. Kind of probably like in escape rooms. Uh, yeah, and I think this as a reaction to the, the pandemic is, yeah, escape room games i played a, quite a few of them with some pals during the pandemic because they were a fun way to collectively play a game together and finish something within an hour or two and yeah i i really like the art style for this one it's like got a very cartoony vibe and it reminds me a lot of professor layton in that it is set in a world where everyone is obsessed with escape rooms and escape rooms like you you it's like you go to an academy you become like a secret agent who does their job entirely through the methodology of escape rooms and it's a beautiful beautiful thing the escape rooms themselves 
are very good. They take about 30 minutes at a time, but you're given a limit often of 30 minutes. Uh, playing them with a friend is a lot of fun. Um, they're not, they're not, at least the, I've only gotten halfway through the game, so the other half might be considerably harder. But they're not, they're not too challenging, yeah, which you don't want in Escape Room of you because it's more about like getting a good time and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, in fact, you're also talking about the pandemic. It's like, I think this is a great solution to the pandemic thing because some of the other solutions for keeping escape rooms alive were funny, but not great. Like, I think one of them was like, you could go online and watch somebody in the room and you controlled them, kind of like a video game that you told them what to do and then they did it, which admittedly I kind of wanted to do, but, you know, it, escape real life escape rooms are expensive. I- I saw a video um, of someone doing that, of like t- telling someone what to do, and he kept making him do push-ups because he's like, "Do a push-up," and the guy would have to do a push-up for the escape room because, which sounds like a horrendous job to have, but. Um, okay, that actually sounds kind of miserable. <laughs> but yeah, just instructing over the phone this person playing the escape room, but yeah, still kind of cool. You know, you you got to find ways to keep your money coming, right? Um, yeah, you got to do what you can, um, and just. Yeah, like, it's a game I'd highly recommend. Free on Games Pass. I don't think it's too expensive, even at its retail price. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any replay value. Not necessarily a bad thing. Every other Escape Room game I've played only get got played the once. And in this one, there is a, a good deal more content. I think there's about 16 rooms in total uh, to do, at least based on the the map in the game uh maybe there's maybe there's more hidden um yeah like uh it's made me want to try escape simulator next um which i think is a bit more of like a community driven thing which feels a bit more what's the word fitting um uh, a bit more like constructing something out of Lego, rather. Whereas this one's like very designed, like all all the environments feel very good to explore, and they look like the things they're trying to be. Uh, like I say, it's cartoon design is is often to its its favor. Uh, yeah. Did you like? So I mean, you're uh, a bit of a puzzle puzzle fetishist, if I do say so myself. Um, exactly. Well, so did the puzzles uh, say the hungry puzzle beast within you? Um, did it? Did they make you happy? Yeah, and I think there was only one time I was... And even then, it was the kind of good annoying. <laughs> like, there was only one time it stumped us for very long. And it was a puzzle where you got the answer. We were, like, just staring at it, like, we can't figure out what this code is. And you got the answer by reading the letters out loud. Um, It was, like, 6D... But if you say 6D, it sounds like 6D. And it took us like... The level had like 30 minutes. I think that one thing took us 10 minutes to figure out. I I say we. My partner actually figured that one out. I actually think if it had been left to me to figure out, we would have run out of time. (laughs) So, yeah, no, I mean... the puzzles haven't been so challenging that it's uh, actually stopped us from completing a level the first time through. That might change for the later ones, but I would say they are all of a quality where they are at least satisfying to solve. There is like a logic there that's not too 
opaque it doesn't require moon logic um yeah they're, they're very tightly designed and now that you mentioned that the fact that the developers are actually people who design them in real life actually makes a lot of sense it's not game developers trying to figure out puzzles retroactively because one of the reasons the professor Layton games are so good is they actually got somebody whose whole job is making puzzles to design the puzzles they just built the game around that and this feels like a similar methodology as for the do you find like the general glue that holds it together is an issue like you're at you know you are ostensibly at a school to become an escape puzzle master to solve puzzles is the story just not something you really care about or is it something that you think has some legs to it um uh i wouldn't say it has legs to it because but i don't think it's trying to have like a super deep narrative it's more trying to have the narrative you might find in a mobile game or something like that and i don't even mean that in a bad way just more the focus is on having like colorful characters with like fairly obvious personalities but that that's fine like i say part of the charm comes from the fact that this is a world where you can accomplish being a secret agent merely by being good at escape rooms because that's what it is it feels like a more like a training ground for secret agents and i don't know i was having fun with just things like um there's like a character who's supposed to be like your rival and you're just like yeah no i hate this person too fuck him let's beat him let's be better than them <laughs> like so you know like nothing deep nothing special but functional and charming, everything it needs to be you i would say. say yeah absolutely that's cool so it's like fun. We should, we should. I should definitely watch you. Either watch you play it or play it myself. That sounds like good fun. Uh, I'm awful at puzzles, so I will just be an impediment. But at least I'm in the sixty stuff now, so I can help someone do it. Um, just look up the answers. That's how I can be helpful. Um, but cool. That's uh, <laughs> that's Escape Simulator. No, it's not. It is. What's it called, Dave? We just literally just talked about this. Escape Academy. Escape, Escape Academy. Academy. It's Escape Academy, not Escape Simulator. It's available now on Games Pass, and uh, you can play it for yourself. And I think. That's about it for the podcast. Uh, Unless, do we want to talk about Better Call Saul? We could do, but I also really need the toilet. Um, Let's not talk about We will talk about Better Call Saul next week. Uh, I was wrapping up the podcast because I need (laughs) a wee. Um, So let that be known upon the internet that uh, I drank too much before we started this podcast. So, uh, (laughs) if you would like to send in an email about my bladder or any games or TV or films or really anything at all and ask us a question, get us to mull something over, the email address that you need to do that to is allrightpalpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Dave? Allrightpalpodcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. And now I'm going to go and finally be happy once more. Well, no, I've been happy throughout the podcast. Also, but we. Dave, we are now available on. Twitter oh yeah, we have a Twitter. Yeah, at yes, at all right, pal pod. What's that? Ben? All right, pal pod. There we go. Because we tried to get all right, pal podcast, but it was too long, wasn't it? So it is all right, pal pod. Uh, but yeah, you can catch us on there. We're going to be punching up, punching up a bunch of different pieces on there. You can chat to us on there, send us messages on there if you like. Uh, or you can, uh, we'll be posting all the more recent correspondence we have in any particular capacity up on there. So you can catch us there. Um, apart from that, I think that's about it from me. I'm going to go to the toilet, go for a walk, and then I'm going to watch some more of Nathan Fielder's bits and pieces. What about yourself, Dave?
I am going to give more attention to the oh, cat man. who is having a wee relaxation next to me. In the cat bed we that uh, April had bought her this week and she has been glued to it for most of the week. Whenever I've bought a cat bed for any kind of cat, they've refused to use it on principle and have simply squatted in a cardboard box somewhere. So I'm really glad that your cat seems to be, you know, at least going on with your wishes in that respect until she finds a box to squat in. Um, she she does also have a cardboard box in the living room that she loves to like tear, tear apart. apart. Oh, cats love boxes. Um, she just likes to run into it, hide in it, and then scratch the bottom of it to pieces. Makes sense. Cool. And on that lovely uh, and very cute bombshell cat the, on the cat anecdote, we'll leave you there. Thank you very much for today, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.